Know Thyself is dedicated to the exploration of the most rewarding task an individual can ever embark on, the journey to find oneself. Our intention is to investigate the universal principles that have equipped our species to seek the treasure of all treasures, self-knowledge. With your host, Daniel Powinski and Eduardo Manteca, this is the Know Thyself Podcast. Our audio sounds good. Audio's good. Hello to you. Hello to you. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Know Thyself podcast. I am Eduardo Manteca. I'm here with Daniel Pawinski. Hello. And uh, today's episode, The Wizard of Oz, its meaning and its occult symbolism. Yeah. Uh, but before we kind of jump into uh, our agenda for the day, I want to give a shout out to the DJ who did the rendition of the intro song, which is... Yeah, the DJ's name is Akira the Don. Akira the Don. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic individual. Um, found him on Spotify, and he is... Um, I mean, on top of letting us use his rendition, which was really cool, he's just a really great DJ, and he actually creates beats and um, cuts with different kind of philosophers' lectures. Mm -hmm. So you could actually get stuff from like Alan Watts, Jordan Peterson, kind of this whole gamut of philosophers, and he kind of puts them on his own created beats. And then he also has his own instrumentals. He has his own music. Really talented um, guy that we really want you to check out. So his name is Akira the Don. So that's A-K-I-R-A, and then the Don. Uh, but he's turning out some really amazing music. Just a great individual too. If you want to really look at his story, he he was like a he was a DJ in LA, was just kind of making it by, making it by, and then he really kind of got connected to himself and really started to follow that heart's purpose and that journey and that desire that we've kind of been speaking about. And now he's really successful living in Dripping Springs, Texas, with his family. He's always doing like live feeds on Instagram. He's really connected with his community. Um, definitely check out his music for because sure. he's doing it. And we're going to play the whole thing at the tail end for you guys just yeah. to kind of have a little outro. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Shout out to Akira the Dawn. Um, but yeah, so The Wizard of Oz, it'll be great. Um, we're going to, as always, do a breakdown, have Daniel sort of explain uh, the overall idea or how The Wizard of Oz really is, is the unfolding of many philosophies. And so you'll kind of see that in different ways. Um, I know people have talked about it being with everything like from alchemy to like the Kabbalah and to, well, just a lot more things that we'll end up bringing up. But before it kind of like spills all over the place, let's sort of bring it back to its foundation. And as always, I'll let Daniel start it off. Yeah, absolutely, man. And and again, this um, this movie was always really special to me growing up. It always... You know, when you think about like a witch, mm -hmm. that it's like that archetype or image you think of. You think oh, of she is you, it. you think of the Wicked Witch you're of the right. West, right? That's the witch you think of. Um, and even when you're seeing this movie, it's never like you're seeing it for the first time. Like you kind of know how it's going to unfold, and it's just this amazing occult allegory. And we're really going to kind of talk about all those significances today, um, just how 
how much this movie really resonates so deeply on a conscious level. For when sure. really we're talking about that Perino philosophy, this is a great presentation of this, a unique telling of this story, and it just it ties together so many compartments and aspects. And the reason why we're addressing it today is because in the future, we're going to use this to almost um, unfold deeper ideas. And we're going to kind of use this as the basis point to kind of build off of, in, a, in almost in alignment with Star Wars. And we're going to use those stories just to kind of help explain some of the little right. bit more complex stuff, I would say, that we're going to be kind of approaching. Yeah. I was just going to say, you've already been prepping the audience. You know, there's a few episodes in there that we bring up and then The Wizard of Oz. And so that's yes. why it's exciting to finally have it here. So if you heard Daniel say that more than a couple of times, you know, this is why. And, right. And it's very important because we will, I guess you just said, we will talk about it throughout the whole podcast yeah. and, you know, yeah. Uh, even refer my back to it. Yeah. Even my students, when I was like teaching, like anytime it was a Friday, I'm like, what are you guys doing this weekend? And they're like, whatever, Mr. Poinsky, but you're just going home and watching The Wizard of Oz. And I'm like laughing. I'm like, actually, like, <laughs> that's I, what I I'm am. Doing. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, that's exactly what I'm Dude, doing. That's so great. But yeah, this, uh, it's just such a good, it's such a good movie. And, you know, we could, we could talk about it for hours. Yeah, man. You know? So let's yeah. let's jump into to the very origins and and talk about um, you know, are you are we going to bring up the author? Or do you want to start there? Or? You know, we we probably could. We probably should kind of recognize Frank Baum. Um, so yeah, so Frank Baum wrote this story in um, 1900. So it was right around the turn of the 20th century. And you know, one unique thing is is when you're kind of growing up. There's a lot of interpretations of what this movie actually represents. And what we're really going to kind of talk about is esoterically what actually Frank Baum was actually trying to communicate. Right. Because, you know, you do hear these stories about the gold standard and it's like an economic thing. But when you really start studying the individual, we see that Frank Baum didn't really have much interest in economics or even world economics. So why would he write a children's story in alignment with that? True. So, you know, you always want to look at the background of the individual. That's going to give you a good understanding of what their inspiration is. Right. And Frank Baum belonged to a group called Theosophy. Mm -hmm. And Theosophy is a lot of the tenets we talk about is kind of what um, is represented in Theosophy. So Theosophy kind of looks at religions globally. It kind of does a lot of that astrotheology that we were talking right. about. And it really kind of looks at the evolution of consciousness from the beginning of time, or as far as we know back to where we find ourselves now. And then also kind of looking at the future and seeing what kind of esoteric energies and occult energies are going to be right. present in the future. So um, so yeah, Frank Baum is, he is a established um, individual of theosophy. And one of their big phrases is, there's no religion higher than truth. So again, a lot of the tenets of theosophy you're going to see resonate through this Know Thyself podcast. Right. They study um, alchemy, astrology, um, the tarot, um, the Kabbalah. And then we're also going to see aspects of Freemasonry and ancient Freemasonry are going to get presented in this story. And again, all of these stories, all of these ideologies are all very connected. Right. Right. There's really no difference in them, especially when you get down to the esoteric um aspects of it. But um, but yeah, and again, we're going to be kind of looking at more of the breakdown of the movie, because the movie um, visually took this story to the next level. Um, right. And the movie comes about 39 years later. But there's a reason why this was like one of the first movies they did in color. Like they, they were ready for this movie. They knew this movie was going to be a huge impact just because of how heavy the story was. Um, but again, if you really enjoyed this Frank Baum went on to write, I think, like 13 sequels to this. Yeah. So he wrote a lot of different stories about Oz. He kind and of other really children started books, building right? it up. Um, 
But yeah, you know, he he speaks, you know, that this is um, theosophy kind of also looks like that there's a divine spark within every person. And with the correct training and pattern recognition, that spark can lead you to self-enlightenment. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what we were talking about with that savior of the self, with the son last week. And, and too, this this story came to him in an inspiration. Um, yeah, he said it just kind of came to him in a came moment. Came to him and that was his... Uh... That was that was his duty. That was yeah. what he needed to complete. Yeah. And act, you know, becoming aware of that and sensitive to those moments of inspiration. I know we've had them. You've had them. You've shared experiences of that. I know I've had those experiences. Well, where everything just kind of like comes to you at that mm-hmm. moment, and really being grateful and aware of those situations, um, and kind of just making sure you act on that act on that feeling because again, inspiration doesn't come to us very often, but when it does and it's coming from an internal source and it feels right, it's something we should probably pursue, you know? For sure. So again, he's going to kind of look at, you know, God is nature and nature is God. So they really have this like holistic naturalist kind of perspective on the world. Um, And again, we were just going to kind of really look at the deeper and philosophical allegory that's contained in this story. Um, you know, the Wizard of Oz, which is ultimately about the heart and really about the soul's journey through life. Yep. Right? So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, it's kind of funny. In Star Wars, we we kind of just were talking about the main themes and we were kind of just looking at the overarching theme. But the, the beauty about this movie and how this movie set up, I think it's almost going to be better if we almost just go on the story with Dorothy mm-hmm. and we kind of start this fool's journey. So... Opening scene opens up, first of all, the movie's dedicated to individuals that are young at heart. And we've really been talking about uncovering that childhood heart, really connecting with that childhood energy and making that loop back around to that connection back to the source. So right off the bat, this movie is very much recognizing that aspect. Um, And so how this movie opens up is Dorothy is in a moment of distress and she's with Toto. And... um, she is getting antagonized by this individual named Mrs. Gulch, I believe was her name. Yes. Gulch, something like that. Who's going to, it's a foreshadow, right? For because sure. she's going to be a character later on in the movie. And yeah, then she's she going to no, recommend. No patience for that child heart. You know? No patience for that, nor does she want you to have that child no, heart, she's right? she's not very happy. Especially so, uh, with Toto, right? Yep, yep. And we're going to kind of talk about how important Toto is. So again, just right off the bat, Dorothy's really going to represent that soul on the beginning of that journey. Mm-hmm. Um, this is when you ever want to look at the full card in the tarot deck. And again, if you don't have a tarot deck, it's going to be really beneficial in this whole occult studying and the study of self. And again, you don't have to use a tarot deck for divination. The most important aspect of a tarot deck is the symbolism that comes from it and really the patterns that are in compass that deck um, will really tell you about the entire human experience. So you really right. want to use it for self-study over divination and a great meditation to look at is the fool card. And even when you just physically look at the fool card, it is Dorothy. Like as Dorothy goes on this journey, the fool's got a basket, he's got a bag, she's got a basket, he's got a dog, a flower. Exactly. So we're going to see all these representations. Um, So what we're going to see early on in this story is um, again, Dorothy is in this kind of this moment of distress and that's where we find her. And she's making her way back to her family's farm. Um, But again, we're going to have the same kind of aspect come up with her parents, 
we don't see her biological parents. Mm-hmm. She is being raised by her aunt, aunt and, uncle. and her aunt and uncle, which That's is something like we saw in Star Wars, yeah. right? So um, again, we're going to, right off the bat, we kind of know that this journey is not just going to be to connect with the, the sacred feminine or the and or the divine masculine, it's going to be a journey to connect both of those. Mm-hmm. Okay, so already we kind of have this ultimate story coming on because, again, as a story writer, it's a heavy aspect to take on the journey to find the sacred feminine, and it's a heavy aspect to take on that journey to find the divine masculine. But to take on both of them, you know you're dealing with a really big power play of a story, and you really have to understand archetypes. You have to understand occult philosophy to be able to pull this off. Right. Right? Because you – it's like you're betting with a lot of chips, and if Absolutely. you you can lose all those chips, and people will be like, "I don't understand anything you just did," or you can hit the jackpot. And the reason why we're talking about this movie today is because it obviously hit the jackpot, right? <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so both aspects of this consciousness are going to have to be uncovered and internally instilled into our hero for her to be successful on this journey, right? Um, and what do we notice, like right off the bat, when Dorothy? goes to see her aunt and her uncle who act as her caretakers. Dorothy's going to express that she's being oppressed and abused by this Mrs. Gulch. And her parents and her caretakers are going to... um, Dismiss. Kind of dismiss, right? They're a little busy. They're busy with the farm. They're busy with... They're busy with life. And I think we kind of... We can see that aspect for sure, you know? Um, so she doesn't get any assistance from her aunt and uncle. So then she decides to obtain counsel from the ranch hands that are in the story. Um, and we have some foreshadowing here. Um, and we've already seen some foreshadowing. Miss Gulch is going to be the Wicked Witch of the West. Mm-hmm. And these um, these um, ranch hands are going to appear as the characters in the Oz, right. which are going to be the Scarecrow, the Tin Man, and the Lion. Um and, you know, again, the the advice that she receives um, from one of the ranch hands tells her, you know, you know, he doesn't have time. He kind of walks away. Um, the other individual she talks to claims that she should just avoid Miss Gulch's house. Like, why don't you just go the long way yeah. home? Why do you even avoid it? So, right. you know, again, we're not getting really good counsel because what what do we have? One of the, the first person doesn't have time for it. The second person is just like, oh, you have a problem? Just avoid the problem. Right. Don't come face to face with that problem. And again, studying this occult philosophy that we know, you know, you can't avoid any problems. Like it's just going to get bigger and bigger. It's the dragon in the dungeon. You know, if you just keep forgetting about it, he's just going to get bigger until you can't even handle that dragon. Right. And then the third individual is, um, I think his name is Zeke. Um, and he's just like confront her head on, you know, fist to fist. Right. Uh, Um, so yeah, the blunt courage, right. Or the, that blunt courage. But then when Dorothy's messing around and she falls in the pig pen, he helps her out, but he's like totally shaken up by the whole thing. So again, we have this like false courage that we right. really see because like tough individuals don't have to act tough. They're just tough. Where it's usually that person who's acting really tough is the first person to yeah. cry during the movie. Exactly. Know? Soft on the inside. Soft on the inside. Um so yeah, she really doesn't really um, receive much, much um, counsel from these individuals, right? So she's kind of just left even more confused. And again, this the story and the the scene and everything that's being held together at this time is dictating this because the story starts off in black and white, right? Um, and that's a really important aspect because it's again it's talking about that almost like that base consciousness, right? 
in Freemason and Freemasonic art, you see this as the checkered board floor. And this really just means like a low level of consciousness, a low level of perspective. Um, and you, you're going to see this kind of utilized in a lot of different aspects, but really watch whenever you see individuals that are in kind of controlled by maybe like social engineers, they'll have that checkered piece actually on their forehead yep. and you can actually see that imprinted on certain things. Um, so it's just kind of something to be aware of. Um, and again, it represents that chessboard. Like, where are you on the chessboard? Are you a pawn? Are you a king? Where really you're supposed to be like above the chessboard and have right. that higher perspective. And that's kind of where Dorothy's story is kind of going. Right. Um, so again, we're in this black and white situation. We're really kind of going through this. Again, there's just, there's no really hope. She's gotten fear. And then, um, and remember, this whole thing is about Mrs. Gulch being upset with Toto. And that's going to really kind of come around because Toto really plays a, might be like one of the most important characters in the story. Right. Um, and he really going to, he's going to have a lot of symbolism to RTD2, what we were talking about, Star yeah. Wars. He's really going to kind of represent that. Um, but, you know, she's got this. Um, She's again, she feels like she's she's left even a little bit more confused um, and kind of pushed in different directions. And none of them are really helping her. None of that insight or advice helped her. Um, so she's left empty and she's going to, and this is going to lead to a very famous scene where she sings the song that we played in the begin, beginning, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Right. Um, Which is like seen for many different reasons as like the other side of, of consciousness, right? Like just like really on the other side of. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's rainbow. It's that, um, it's that rainbow bridge. Um, right. Alchemist used to call this the peacock tail. So when you would go through the alchemical process and remember, you're always going through the process and going back again. But when you have this major insight, maybe when you jump up an octave, they would, they would um, always in their notes, talk about the coming of this peacock and this, this idea of seeing this rainbow tail. This is why in America, NBC, the National Broadcasting Company's logo is a peacock because, again, they use this symbolism because it's intuitively inside you. So you're like, oh, this this channel's like the next level up. But really, it's not. It's just like a poop cage. Just another poop cage. <laughs> yeah, right? So, um, so, yeah, the peacock's tail is always an alchemist would describe in the writing. Um, but really, it is, it's about that illumination. It's about that paradigm shift. This is... This is what Led Zeppelin was talking about on the stairway to heaven, yep. right? It's it's that other side. It's the gold that's on the other side of that aspect. I mean, again, just, you know, like we remember how marvelous the first time was you saw a rainbow, like trying to like ask your parents what there is. Like, oh, that's just what happens when it rains, right? So it just rains and then there's this beautiful this thing, thing in the sky. On the like, side that, yeah. You just want to cry, you know? I know, exactly. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. So it's, again, it's, it's like kind of, it acts as this like bridge between worlds, um, a bridge between worlds and a bridge between thinking. Um, like it's almost a, a new idea of how we perceive reality. And this rainbow bridge or this stairway to heaven is part of the process um, when we align ourselves more deeply to truth. So as we kind of go on that prospect of finding that higher self, connecting with that internal savior, and really allowing our free will decisions to truth, we open up more opportunities to right. connect with this rainbow bridge. And I mean, just even hearing that song, you know, it doesn't matter what mood you're in, where you are in life, that move, that song just, it fuels inspiration internally inside you. It's um, again, people, 
you know, there, I think there's people that even know that song and they've never even seen the movie. Like it just, there's something about that song when you hear it, it's just like calming and comforting. And again, mm-hmm. it's just like all this amazing stuff that was kind of put together, um, you know, when they made this movie. Oh, this is just a complete side note. This is just kind of like a fun movie fact, but there's, there's, um, there was actually a coat that they were using in the film. And it's perfect. It's for Professor Marvel, who we're going to get to in a minute. I don't know why I'm bringing it up now because I'm about to talk about him. But it was like a perfect jacket that they got at a thrift store. And um, again, this movie was made after Frank Baum passed away. And when they were doing the movie, the actor looked inside the jacket and imprinted into the name was F Baum. It was actually Frank Baum's jacket that his wife actually donated when he passed away. And then when they were connecting stuff for the movie, they picked up that jacket for Professor Marvel to wear. That is brilliant. Synchronicities, right? Absolutely. Again, and you know, we talk about synchronicities and there's a lot of different synchronicities on how this philosophy works. But yeah. again, just uh, all that magic behind this movie and everything oh, yeah. that kind of came into yeah, it. Yeah, we always say there's no coincidences, just coexistence. And, and it all falls into place right there. I mean, right. I think it's kind of great that we're talking about, he passed away a, a hundred years ago. You know, I just think it's great to like, keeping just to to strengthen the point of this whole idea of this movie even the music that daniel's mentioning it just never goes out of date Mm -hmm. you know what i mean you can still watch it right now and you just can't believe like this was this was a book written so long ago you know what i mean uh by an individual who hasn't been here for so long you know and and you can still watch and just feel so connected because of that uh overarching theme which is like you know going from one level of consciousness into the next, which is what I'm really excited to hear about the tornadoes and like the, the thing that launches our, our, not our hero, but I guess like our hero, like yeah. into the next world. So, yeah. um, but go on, I'm sorry. No, no, man. Again, please, whenever something comes up, just stop me. Cause yeah. I can talk about this movie forever. Um, but yeah, so, okay. So we have this beautiful scene, right? Where she's singing with Toto right by her side, um, and it's just this lovely thing. She's singing somewhere over the rainbow. Judy Garland has this amazing voice and that all kind of shatters because approach comes Mrs. Gulch. And she is this rich woman in the community um, who really feels like she can do whatever she wants. And what she wants is she's claiming that Toto ruined her garden and actually bit her. Um, and now this brings up the aspect of actually what Toto represents. So right. again, all these characters, Dorothy represents that fool, that that beginning of the soul's the journey, soul, right? right? Yeah. yeah. So it's that soul's journey beginning, um, you know, that leap of faith before the adventure begins. So what Toto represents, Toto is going to represent human imagination, creativity, and intuition. Um, really the, the most important faculties of the human soul and it very much what's what makes us human, Mrs. Gulch is going to be trying to take away from Dorothy. Right, right. Which is what I, I I really like about the fact that the dog ends up escaping anyways, you know, and how it's important that, you know, she doesn't allow for the dog to um be taken away. Uh and I really like that. I think in in one of the things that I've read or listened to in Mark Passio when he describes this moment as, as how you can't tame us, you know, like yeah. we, we were not going to just go that easily, you know, but, um, but yeah, she's really, I mean, what would you say? She's really just kind of the barrier of like control or like, she's really trying to instill fear. I mean, she's kind of doing it all right. I mean, she's kind of like, yeah, yeah. I think I'm Ms. the Gold, ruler here. Yeah. I think Miss Goltz definitely represents that social engineer aspect, that idea yeah. of zapping the fear, because again, 
they know how powerful human intuition is. They know how powerful innovation is and they know exactly. how powerful creativity is. And that process to where they want to go to is never going to happen if that's still intact within the humans. And again, that's what Toto represents. But one thing I like that you brought up is because it's unique about Dorothy and the story is there's really no it's going to come later that there's a little bit of a refusal to action, but internally she never has a refusal to this car. Like she's ready to fight for Toto the entire time. Like she knows what Toto actually yeah. represents to herself and she's willing to fight it. You know, it's not until Ms. Gold presents that she has papers from the city. And again, she has papers from the city because she's got money right. and she's corrupt. Right. So she's now using this, this entity of the state for, her own ends, right? It doesn't have to be morally correct. It doesn't have to be ethically correct. It's for her own ends. Yep. So again, we're seeing these aspects of this control using fear um, and using manipulation, which is their favorite tactics. And they do this by, you know, limiting our intuition, limiting our creativity and trying to disconnect from that perennial philosophy that right. we've been talking about, right? So Dorothy tries to fight this. Um, but again, once Gold presents that court order for the dog to be terminated or more essence for Dorothy's creativity and her imagination to be terminated, her aunt and uncle take Toto and give it to her um, because of this threat of this cult of this court. So this idea of living in fear of this fictitious centralized power um, that there's a power above almost recognizing that there is this power to be able to take your creativity and your human intuition away when really there's only one power and it's the supreme consciousness of the universe. So the idea that something has authority over you, or even though it, it's, it has this, yeah, again, like it almost has this authority, even if it's not morally just, um, that you have to obey for it. And this is really important because Dorothy doesn't do that. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. And that's, yeah. that's what I love about the way the actress portrays that the whole scene with Toto is you might think of her as first, the first glance, you know, she's so innocent and she's so, you know, in her own small ways, but she never, as you were just mentioning, gets away from defending her position with Toto. And if you're an audience member and you're watching this movie, when the aunt and uncle surrender Toto, you even feel betrayed because you're, you're, you're just, you know, the, you know, that the agenda of the, of the, of the person trying to take care of, of the, of the problem, which is the dog and, and it is wrong. And I just love that when you first watch this movie, you're not even paying attention to the cues. It, it just disturbs you inside. You're like, Oh, how could you come mm -hmm. on? Like we all know that lady's just wicked. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's just, it's a great setup right there. And then yeah. to kind of just show how basic it is to know that we already have the intuition inside to know when something's wrong and how quick, how quickly that switch can go off. Cause all it takes is that one scene of injust. And then you're like, okay, I know who's, I know whose side I'm on. Yep. I know who's like not really wanting to look really into this, which is like the aunt and uncle, which is what you've seen with adults as a child. And you're like, well, how come you don't see the injustice of this? Mm -hmm. And, oh, you're just looking away. That's what you're doing. Mm -hmm. you're, you're afraid of what little you have might be taken from you. And in this case, it's through the court order. But that's, again, watching this movie and we can go inch by inch in this every scene, but that's one of the things I always pick up on in certain scenes where I'm like, immediately they just know how to kind of um, break up that flow already. So you kind of know where the divide is there, where the, the conflict, you know, mm -hmm. um, but go on. I digress. Yeah. 
No, man, I love how you brought that up about the aunt and the uncle too, because you're right. This, you almost, you feel like you say, like kind of threatened, or you like brokenhearted about what the aunt and the uncle do, right? You feel betrayed, is betrayed, how you say, yeah. which is I think is the better way to put it. Because um, yeah, it's the idea of your family giving away your intuition or imagination because of fear of some kind of yes. financial thing. So again. Your God-given conscious free will, you know, the stuff that's bestowed to you by the creator is given away to a man-made organization because of the threat of a man-made thing, which is this monetary, they're afraid they're going to get sued. Like, again, this is like, it's just, to the outsider, like if an aliens came to Earth and watched it, they'd be like, that's psychotic. Like, you don't give away your daughter's imagination and her, you know, individual identity because of fear. But again, we see just how portraying fear is and how we, it can penetrate families. It can penetrate relationships. Like it benefits institutions. We've seen what fear has done to education. We've seen what fear has done to health. Like it fears such a penetrating, darkening force that constricts consciousness. Right. And I'm sure we'll get into the fact and how it controls things, but that's what I like about when you describe, um, you know, Frank Baum, when you talk about uh, theosophy and you know there that there's nothing more than than truth, that's something you should always pay attention to is when you feel that betrayal, it's because it's the betrayal of truth. Mm-hmm. So that's why it irks you. That's why some, I think some people want to say, well, no, there's a, there's a Zen way of looking at it or more, um, I guess, like a more healthier approach to not having to succumb to anger. But like, if that anger is sparked so instantly, especially even with a movie and a scene like that, then most likely truth is what's been betrayed. And again, back to the author being just great. I mean, just putting it really out there. Um, But anyways, I digress. Go on. No, no, but awesome, man. But yeah, you know, it's again, it just brings up a very important spiritual tenet to remember. And that is that, you know, all spiritual individuals, we need to understand that there is no such thing as this authority. Like we are the sons and the daughters of that great king in the East. Right. So we don't owe any allegiance to anything other than natural law and truth. And if we live by natural law and truth, we're not going to hurt anybody. We're not going to do anything that's going to oppose anything, you know? So again, you know, you have to look at your laws. Like if the law is unjust, you're justified to break it. Like you have to, if the law does not align to truth and natural law, you have the right from the creator to challenge that law, right. you know? And again, man loves making his laws, but um, at the end of the day, we really have to connect with, you know, what is the higher consciousness? Really, what is powering life? And again, God can make, I mean, man can make laws about like the sun being not working, but the sun's still going to keep working. You know right, what I mean? Right. And that's kind of something we want to look at. Um, I mean, just kind of funny, you know, it's one thing too, that's really um, a unique pr- uh, exercise to do is look up the etymology of your name. Um, so like Daniel, right? I didn't know this. I, I found this out recently and it just made my day. So Dan in Hebrew, D-A-N, is, um, means judge, right? And then Il, I-E-L, um, is one of the 23 names of God. So actually the name Daniel means um, God is my judge. So it's great. So like if I ever get pulled over, I'm just like, I'm sorry, officer. I'm a little bit out of your jurisdiction. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Daniel. My name is Daniel. Yeah, I'm oh, sorry. Man. Sorry, officer. That's uh yeah, you're gonna just have to move on. But um, but again, we really just wanna kind of riff put it out there is that there is a supreme 
order of the universe. And that's the order that you want to follow. And as long as you follow that, you're going to be consciously and aligned with your soul's journey, which is kind of what we're talking about with right. Dorothy. No, and I can go to so many different rabbit holes from just that one point. Uh, I love everything you just brought up. But yeah, let's let's keep going because I, cool. I'll, I'll save it for something uh, a little bit down the ways, but okay. go on. Cool, cool. Yeah. So so again, as we kind of just make our way through this story, um, and again, just just definitely go watch this story. If you um, if you don't have access to it and you have no money, just send me and I will send you my Amazon sign in because I, I downloaded it. I'll just like share it with you. Um, but um, so this gold, she's going to get Toto um, and she's going to take this dog and she's going to put it in her basket and she's going to start walk, um, riding away. Um, Toto's going to easily escape shortly after this. And this is going can't, to be a very important message. What's that? Can't, can't keep, keep us down. down. Yeah, exactly. And that's going to be the important message because this is going to show that human spirit of intuition and creativity will never be held down and can never be completely suppressed. So this idea, this perennial philosophy that we've been talking about, which is these archetypes, which is this hero's journey, which is the story of the planets, really all this stuff that we've covered in the... Um, in our discussions thus far, even if these social engineers are successful and they turn our population into complete robots who have no connection to the source of the universe, this will maintain, but only for so long, consciousness will eventually prevail. prevail. So even if there's hundreds and hundreds of generations of these robots, right? Say they completely take us away from source and they completely make us robotic. One day in the future, it could be thousands of years in the future, one individual will turn back online, reconnect with the source, and the light of consciousness will begin its journey to create the true human experience that we're meant for. Mm-hmm. So again, when we talk about consciousness prevailing, it might not be in this cycle. Like again, we are chips are really stacked on us really high right now. We might fall back into a dark ages, but eventually consciousness will prevail. So when I say consciousness will prevail, um, I don't want to be too optimistic and be like, oh, well, Daniel from the Thyself podcast said everything's going to be good. Like it might not prevail in this cycle, but eventually it will, right? And that's what Toto represents. He represents that human intuition, creativity, and inspiration is never going to be held down. And we're going to see this throughout this movie, right? He's always going to be kind of making his way. Um, And um, yeah, so this is just going to be a re- this is going to be a reoccurring theme in the story. Toto is always going to escape a few times in the story. And even at the end, he's going to lead her um, again to safety. And again, again, I brought this up with RTD2 and the Star Wars story, because watch how RTD2 acts as a guide to the heroes on their separate and unified journeys. Oftentimes he leads the heroes away from danger and onto the path of spiritual success. RTD2 and Toto are going to represent that same archetypal pattern. And again, when you talk to people about like who's their favorite individuals in that movie, like Toto doesn't have any lines. He's a lot of people's favorite. RTD2 doesn't speak English. He speaks in dots. Right. And like he's a lot of people's favorite. Yeah. And I believe, for right, at least my perspective, the reason that is, and I've noticed this from those, those, even those two movies, but they're both objects that are not relatable as far as them being human beings. So even the character within the movie can't relate oh. to the indivi- the object. So the dog can't speak to the character, which you just kind of said. And then R2-D2 doesn't speak the language. But both individuals who are on their, on their journey are really on their journey alone, but those two are there too. So they're not alone, but they are alone. Meaning like even when you're trying to watch it, there's no way of you ever saying, well, ask him. He'll know. Because you're like, well, I don't speak 
that robot language and I definitely don't know what I would say to a dog. So even you as an audience member have to kind of stay put and be like, okay, we're going on this journey alone, but not alone. It's like, oh, you know, that little robot is just stumbling its way through um, a bunch of coincidences that our hero finds himself um, faced with, but they're not, you know what I mean? But again, I just love when people put that in there and that's how Toto is throughout the whole movie. It's just Mm -hmm. like, he's there. Yes. You know, he, he is, very much present, but he doesn't speak. So his lines, like you just said it, he has no lines, but I think that's what makes it what it's supposed to be, meaning that representation of intuition and and everything else, because it's present, but kind of unseen, in this case, ununderstood. But anyways, go on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, absolutely, man. And so, so again, so we have um, Toto, he's escaped from the, the, uh, the basket, and he makes his way back to Dorothy. So when Dorothy finds Toto again. She knows that they're going to come for Toto. So to protect her imagination, to protect her intuition, she decides that she's going to run away. And she does. She packs, She just gathers what she can and puts it in her basket and she makes her way off. And the first thing that she's going to come to is she's going to come to this, this Professor Marvel, which right. is really going to kind of represent this fake fortune teller, this Charlton, this, this fake wizard. And we're going to see this facade be again, it's kind of foreshadowing again because we're going to see this character kind of come up a bunch more times. But really, what he kind of represents is you know, he kind of in the end, he's going to represent something a little bit different. But at this aspect, he's really going to almost represent those individuals that kind of use occult energy to try to create a financial gain in this world, mm-hmm. try to give you, you know, the idea of being like, oh, I'm your guru, you only can listen to me. Just that whole idea of all the the snake oil salesmen that you kind of see in spirituality, you know, and it's something we have to be on the lookout for. And again, that's why we learn hermetic esoteric principles. So when you do find new teachers, you can kind of put them to like, does it, you know, does your teaching weigh next to a feather? Like, is it based in truth? And then if it's not, you can kind of discern that. And then you can actually align yourself to another teacher. And there's so many amazing teachers that are aligned with truth. Like I'm not saying, you know, no, nobody's out there that's doing this. There's amazing people out there, but there is also a lot of snakes in the grass and we have to kind of be on the lookout for them. Yep. Right. Um, and again, because Professor Marvel, he's going to claim that he's acclaimed by the crowned heads of Egypt. So he's he's connected to the highest levels of illumination. And again, this is just a, this is just a facade. Just lay it so thick. Just lay it so thick, right? Um and again, he's just, uh, he's not really an individual with psychic powers. And he only obtains information of Dorothy when he looks through her bag after he instructs her to close her eyes. So he says he's going to look through his magic bar. He tells her to close her eyes. And remember, Dorothy's new onto this hero's journey. So she's got that naivete. She's very naive. She's kind of believing anybody that comes her way because yep. she hasn't gone through this process of. I was just going to say that. Yeah. You know, so she just believes this individual. Um, so again, this is really why it's so important to um, to protect ourselves f- and really obtain true spiritual knowledge and um, how we need to be really vigilant about what information we take in, you know. Now, again, you can take in any information, but you either accept it as truth. If it doesn't mean it's accepted, it puts in alignment with truth, you push it out and you dismiss it, right? Now, you want to look at everything that comes your way. You don't want to just like turn your eyes to something because you don't understand it. Like, 
put it through the process of the think, feel, act. And if it comes through that process and it doesn't align with truth, then that's when you can dismiss that topic, right? That's something we just need to work on as individuals because that's going to be really important. Um, but this is why it's so important to learn these spiritual principles um, so you don't get a led by astray by like a snake oil salesman. So Professor Marvel um, is going to send Dorothy back to her house. He's going to see a picture and he's going to tell her that her aunt is sick. Now, this is really important because on the surface, he sees this young girl that's running away from her house, but he doesn't really understand why she's running away. He just thinks that maybe she just got in a fight with her aunt or something. So you think he's providing okay counsel, like, okay, you're this young girl who's now running away. So he kind of provides counsel to her, but Remember, she's trying to save her intuition, her imagination, what everything that's kind of making her human. So again, this is where that aspect comes in of, you know, be pro- you have to be- go on the journey yourself to provide proper counsel, right. okay? Because he's not, he's, Dorothy's ready to run away to protect Toto. Um, and what he does is he gives her the fuel to refuse her journey. So this is something very unique because usually that refusal of the journey comes internally from our character. Like Luke, this is when he wanted to go home. And when he goes home, he can't go home because his aunt and uncle were killed. Dorothy is ready to go on this. She's just like, no, I'm I'm down to leave everything I know to protect this dog, which represents my intuition, right? She's ready to go on it. It's not until she's put in with fear not to go on this journey. Like, oh, you have to go home because your aunt is sick. Okay, so then it kind of blinds her and she mm-hmm. and she's kind of going through this. So so again, he thought he was kind of giving spiritual counsel to instruct her to return home to return home, but this refusal of the call is why we have to learn cycles so we can actually perceive where people are in that journey and we don't give false counsel. Cause again, instinctively that's exactly what you'd think that they would tell you. It's like, oh, you have to go home. But like Again, she's trying to save her soul at this point, you know, which is the most important aspect that we come here for. And it's the reason why we're here. So she has to go on this journey, right? So again, he tells her to go home with fear. And again, we see fear as this blinding aspect. Um, but as Dorothy begins to head back home, we see universal law react, right? Universal law. The universe is like, no. You ain't going home. You need to finish this journey. Like this journey starting, you're not just going to let this little fear um, push you away from this. Right. So, um, so staying home doesn't even become an option. And we see this countless times in the hero's journey. We saw this in the story of Star Wars with Luke, um, and now it's going to come with Dorothy with a physically that the home is not going to be there because. Um, you can't go back home. You have to continue this journey. So Dorothy is going to come face to face with a tornado. And this tornado is also going to represent, again, symbolism is just so embedded in this story. It's almost a bridge between two worlds. So this is going to be that bridge between earth and the sky, between lower and higher consciousness, and also just that turbulent start to the spiritual journey. When we talk about our spiritual journeys, a lot of times your spiritual journey and the beginning of it doesn't come from you winning the lottery or you getting a promotion at a job, it comes from the inversion. It comes from you losing maybe who you thought was the love of your life, maybe becoming financially broke. This is what really pushes. It's it's that turbulent times that actually funnels this spiritual journey rather than like everything was good. So I found universal consciousness. You don't really hear that till a lot of people start, you know, 
Yep. So the, the, the two factors there are being misled by a source of your nativity. So like not understanding where to get counsel. So that's number one right there. And then the next is nature mm-hmm. and in nature, meaning like the order in which things, you know, happen that are out of our control. And I just love how that's what ends up taking her to the next level. You know, it's just like you're saying being, but there's two, there's two things that happen in people's journey. And I think one comes, um, they, they come in different, um, I guess like they come in different, um, I'm blanking right now, but the order of, of the way they fall into your life can be random. You know what I mean? Either you're, you're misled or you've allowed yourself to be misled by not really like having a clear understanding of your path or, your path is completely obliterated and right. in, in your home, you yep. know? So, but yeah, yeah, go on. No, absolutely. Now we're in the air. Yeah. Right. Right. And again, when pain and pleasure, pain and pleasure, when it's applied by nature is the greatest teacher. And this is exactly what we're seeing. She's going to go through this painful process. Um, and she's going to, now she's going to get forced over that rainbow bridge. Um, so the universe is not playing nice. You started your journey, but then you had doubts and especially you didn't even have internal doubts. You let this, other, this snake exactly put fear into your brain and controlled you and manipulated you, which universe has no respect for. Like the universe has no respect for individuals being told what to do. Exactly, it, it takes a very personal, or just not like, taking a, a deeper look into right. You know, or just putting faith into some other individual who is telling you how to live your life. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So again, you know, the, it's like you start your journey, but then you have doubts. So universe is kind of just saying like, yeah, I'm here to clear those doubts because you really don't have a choice. And she's just going to get swept up by that tornado. And then she's going to land in Oz. And this is a, um, a very powerful, powerful scene when she finally lands. And again, there's some foreshadowing. She sees Mrs. Gulch turn into the Wicked Witch of the West she sees all she sees that she feels that the house actually gets picked up. So she's actually going through this transport, this almost a stargate, right? This right. connection from one world to the next. And we're really going to kind of see. Um, and then there's this beautiful film that I think is probably one of the most amazing aspects of film. And I can only imagine being alive in the 1930s, the late 30s, to see this in theater. And it not only is it your her first time seeing color but it would be your first yeah, time seeing color seeing color that would be amazing and it, they do such a beautiful job of her opening the door yeah. and just going into this amazing array um almost you know because again we we figure this rainbow bridge out so many times it's almost like her first spiritual illumination just yeah. walking through that door it's like the the paradigm shift the paradigm shift yep and this is where the film switches the color and it's the first time Dorothy is seeing in color. And it's also the first time we're seeing in color and just how important and how confusing that aspect is in our lives. You know, when you're going through that spiritual development, again, you do kind of have this download when you kind of first break through and it's exciting and it's important, but it's also really confusing. Yeah. It's you know? unknown. It's, it's the unknown, unknown territory. It's that leap of faith, you know? So this, um, so the, this Oz is Dorothy's desire to have higher consciousness. This is what she was calling for. She was manifesting this flooding of new consciousness when she made that, you know, when she put it out into the world, when she was saying somewhere over the rainbow, like she put this intention out into the universe and the universe just responded like, oh, you, 
you want to go to the other side of the rainbow. Like, okay, like I'm going to take you there. And now oh, yeah. it's doing so, you know, she's got what she kind of wished for. Um, and again, she, she wants this desire. She has this desire for a higher consciousness. She has a desire for a safe place for Toto. Um, and she just wants, she also has a desire for a higher level of awareness or almost justification of her awareness because she doesn't see her awareness in the individual she finds herself in, in her community. Right. Right. So again, that's another reason just to kind of find more like-minded individuals. So again, this is what she's been longing for, but she didn't know exactly what she wanted, but she knew that there was more. She knew that there was more to life. So we gather this in the beginning when she's singing somewhere over the rainbow that she's tired of these mundane levels of reality. She really wants to find a more inner reality or a more justified reality. And the first person that she's going to meet in this land is going to be Gilda, which is the divine feminine. Yeah. The sacred feminine comes in first, which I love. I really, really like that. Go, go on. Yeah. No, I mean, and again, it's that goddess figure. Yeah. Right. Um, and this is always so important because this is going to be the divine feminine. This is our emotional intelligence. This often is what, you know, internally alerts us that we need to go on this journey. Um, then she's going to really be the guide and she's also going to start the spiritual journey. So again, she's like the Princess Leia. She's Trinity. This is the female guide to the hero's journey. Um, and something that's interesting about this aspect too, and I, and I love this about this story, is Gilda's not only the divine feminine, but she's also going to act as the mentor mm-hmm. to Dorothy. You know, so usually that divine feminine connects them to some to other mentor, mentor right? right? So Layla was princess, um, um, went to Obi-Wan Kenobi, Trinity in the Matrix takes him to Morpheus. Morpheus. Yeah, she's going to act as the mentor. So again, she's playing two different roles, which is just, I think, a really important aspect because we are getting, we're seeing that a female can represent that divine masculine and that the, a male can represent that sacred feminine. It's again, it's not about the gender you're nope. born as, where both of these energies are within us at all times. And it's great because they really portray her as what you just said. And that's something I was waiting to say about it that I love is she is imbo- the embodiment of both. Yeah. And, I, and right there, they especially for that time, which is amazing for, for when the movie came out, that they're showing you this role. I know that, you know, it's just, if you watch it again, you'll you'll see like, okay, it's it's all here in one. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, I'm just this embodiment of the sacred feminine and I have this limitation to certain things. No, it's like, also like, okay, this is how we're going to do this. You know, right. like, this is the direction we're going to go. And I just, I thought that was great. But yeah. go on. Yeah, no. And again, she's just... She's going to act as his mentor, and um, she's going to stay with her the whole trip. You know, maybe not physically, but internally. And she's going to act as that guide, and she's just really going to give that divine feminine. And it's such a beautiful expression of that divine feminine, because just how she even is just not not even afraid. Like when the Wicked Witch of the West shows up, and all the the Munchkin like all kind of running stuff, she just like stands her ground and just laughs at this broken individual in front of her who's mm-hmm. the Wicked Witch of the West. And she's just like, she's just really unfazed the entire time and just has full confidence in Dorothy, that Dorothy's going to be able to be successful on this. And then again, with the mentor, we're going to see this because with the falling of this house, Dorothy's house actually lands on the Wicked Witch of the East. So just on arrival to Oz, Dorothy takes out one of the two evil villains, um, 
that's that's kind of running around this Oz. And we could really kind of argue that Oz is kind of a villain as well, and we can kind of get into that. But the two most apparent villains, we don't even meet the Wicked Witch of the East because she's destroyed right away. Um, and this is actually going to be really important because this is when the Wicked Witch of the West shows up. Right. And she's here to collect those ruby red slippers. Um, and Gilda's going to take those slippers and put them onto Dorothy. Exactly. So again, we have that that mentor giving that special tool that's going to come in and be very important in the future. Again, this is Luke getting his uh, lightsaber. Lightsaber. Right. So right. he gets it from the mentor and Gilda. She's just, she's just awesome. She's everything. Like she's everybody's grandmother or that, exactly. old, you know, it was just that yes. energy um, that you just, you just know it's that ISIS Egyptian Mott or the Virgin mother or the lady of Guadalupe. You know, it's just that cool, loving, unconditional energy mm-hmm. that the female provides that's so important. Um, you know, and she's really going to, really is just going to kind of help diffuse the situation. And, you know, the idea that she gives really sound advice and she says, you know, keep these slippers on and stay in this space of protection. You know, really kind of giving some really important aspects. Um and again, remember the the wicked of the witch of the West is wants those slippers, and then again f- immediately recognizes that she wants that dog too. So we're going to talk about what those slippers kind of represent. But even though it's the continuation of that other character, the first thing that she's after is that imagination and that intuition and that creativity of right. Dorothy. Again, she doesn't really worry about Dorothy because if she can get that aspect, Dorothy doesn't become a problem. Right? Dorothy isn't exactly. Right, because yeah. if they take that from us, we be, we become robots, and then we just do what they say. Oh yeah. So it's it's important that we have to understand that they're not so worried about getting our physical bodies. It's it's that soul. It's they the, want to nip it at the butt. So it's like right before you reach that enlightenment, which is what this movie will represent along this mm-hmm. journey, and and you'll see along the path is nip it at the butt. It's like before they even know what their true potential is, before the hero's journey is completed. You know, we need to like let them know who's in control yeah. and and that's the battle you're finding right now yeah and that's but go on yeah no absolutely and this is this is what the aspect of it when people say like oh like you sell your soul for a music contract and that mm-hmm. is because you give up your own personal imagination to play into their imagination and then they're controlling you and you have that aspect and that's what it's all about it's like selling that creativity selling your soul's expression for either power or whatever it is but it's going to be really important that this character and just like Luke never sell their soul. They know that they come, you know, they both come to peace with the idea that you can take my body and you can kill me, but you'll never have my soul. Right. And that is probably the most important thing we can ever um, address on this podcast. Absolutely. You know, and you're not the, the, the death of your body, your physical body, you know, like what lies beyond is really where, where truth is and where all the rewards will be. And that's what I yeah. always love about is just like, don't be afraid. There's so much more that comes after this small test or journey that we're on. Yeah. But, uh, anyways, we keep climbing that ladder, right? I keep climbing that ladder. So yeah. So Glenda's going to tell Dorothy, you know, if you want to make it home, you're going to have to take this journey to go see the wizard of Oz. 
Um, he lives in the Emerald City, and it's going to be a long journey. And how to get there is going to be through this yellow brick road. So this is that path to spiritual enlightenment. This is why it's gold. It's going to represent that alchemical gold. Right. This is that road to the higher and the true self. It's what the it's what the alchemists seek in through the whole process of alchemy is right. how do you obtain gold? Right. This is again that sun that we talked about last week. Or two or the weeks golden ago. Thread. The golden thread that connects all these subjects together. There's going to be so many references to gold. And again, what gold represented too was that internal savior of ourselves, right? And how important that leads to. And again, this is from gold is that whole journey from darkness into light. And that's what this story is physically about. It's about going from black and white into color. So so Dorothy's going to start her journey, um, and it's going to be really interesting because it's going to be kind of a, a normal path throughout the whole way. But the beginning of this is, again, we're going to see some symbolism because it starts off as a spiral. And that spiral represents the journey from the lower levels of consciousness to the higher levels of consciousness. So this is that spiral of life. We see this in the Fibonacci sequence, which is yep. encoded in so much beautiful art, encoded in music. Again, it's kind of the golden thread of the arts. Um, this is the sequence from becoming a single-celled organism all the way up into becoming a self-conscious human. It's that spiral of life. It's the evolution of life. It's an ascending pattern. You're climbing the ladder to God. You're climbing the ladder to universal consciousness. And the idea that it starts simple and it gets more complex as you go. And you see this in your personal spiritual journey as well. Like your spiritual understanding starts simple, simple. And then as you go on this journey, it gets more complex. And the art, the picture that you're drawing of your life becomes more beautiful, the more spiritual aspects and understanding you kind of put to it. Absolutely. Those curvatures, man, those curvatures of spirals, definitely. And, and yeah, with that, she ends up um, taking the individual shall take on that spiral road as it starts to unwind and open up, which yeah. are the, you know, the three individuals that I'm sure you're about to bring up, which uh, I know we were just talking are, are just consciousness. Yep. And, you know? Yeah. The aspects of consciousness, And that's exactly what she's going to unfold on this, like this spiral. And again, this spiral is going to be hidden in all esoteric and occult traditions. And we even see this in some of the most earliest cave paintings right. as far as human civilization goes back of that, that we're aware of. Um, but the spiral, what it represents too, is um, that our spiritual path is not a direct thing. So we don't really know how it's going to unfold. But again, we still take this leap of faith and are align ourselves with truth to go on the journey. And this is actually what a spiral staircase represents from the floor to the roof. You don't know where that spiral staircase is actually journeying you, but you have that leap of faith and you have that alignment to truth that you know is going to take you to your higher self. So right. you just keep climbing, but you might not see what's at the end, right? We don't really see what lies at the top, but you have to keep going um, without knowing what the journey will bring. And this is the staircase that takes you to the Temple of Solomon, which is that internal neocortex. And again, this this yellow brick road that she's going to journey on is going to represent the soul's journey to enlightenment. And Toto is right alongside her, representing that human intuition. And they're guided by Glinda, that divine feminine, and also that member, um, and also that mentor. So, you know, one thing that Dorothy is going to represent right off the bat, um, if we're talking about elements, and one of the things we're going to really talk about soon is kind of the the four elements and kind of that five quiescence element that kind of ties them all together. But she's really going to represent the element of earth. 
and the idea of the spiritual work that we have to do in the physical realm. And that's really important to the process of knowing thyself and understanding why we even incarnated physically. Because we do, we have a job to do here. This this five cent construct is a construct for experience that we need to evolve our soul. So Dorothy just again represents this perfect fool card um, of this initiate on the journey, um, this intuitive journey, this leap of faith, and that journey of the soul kind of connecting with the spirit and making that alchemical marriage that we talked about in the um, yeah you know in that episode. So it's again, it's kind of really important. So the first character um, that she's going to come across after leaving um, the Munchkin Land is going to be the Scarecrow. Um, and the scarecrow is really going to represent um, the mental plane, and this is where the thought energy is going to come from. So this is a really important aspect because this is really going to represent the intellectual cap- cap- capacity of an individual, um, the individual's need to go on a quest for knowledge, the desire for knowledge, to know that to get from darkness and to go into the light, you're going to need to have to have understanding. And really what this is going to represent is the first process of that trivium, which we've spoken about again. And that's it's the process and it's the aspect of consciousness. And it goes in a very specific order. As I think, so I feel, so I act. So really what we see her is kind of uncovering that first aspect of consciousness, which is always the the precessor to any kind of conscious evil. Um, manifestation and that's going to be the evolution of thought um and this is the there's a reason why we meet this character first because this is the first aspect of this human expression of consciousness so perfect so we see that aspect so she meets the scarecrow and again this is going to really kind of be on the path as as we start our spiritual journey we we have to conquer our own ignorance um, and conquering our own ignorance is going to move us further along on this journey. But really gaining control of our thoughts, getting our thoughts from the highest aspect we possibly can, and just gaining ground on them. Because again, thought control is, you know, one of the aspects when you become spiritual is you realize, what are my thoughts and what are outside thoughts that right. are penetrating into me? You know, so really starting to internally reflect on what are my thoughts and actually you know, concentrating on the big thoughts, right? You know, when we were talking about the waves last week, not concentrating on just those little crashing waves, but what are those big waves back there? Like, how do I get to that thought energy and, and help that collapse? Because that's going to have a bigger impact on the expansion of my consciousness. Right. Because it's going to cover more ground. It's going to have more force. So again, she she meets the scarecrow and all the scarecrow wants is a brain. So she, again, is empathetic and caring. And so she invites him on the journey with her. So now we have Dorothy, the Scarecrow, and Toto, and now they're walking on their way to the Oz because she's like, well, if Oz can get me home, he could for sure get you a brain. Exactly. Right? So again, we're thinking that as I think, so I feel, so I act, which is going to be so important. So as she's making, they kind of team up and they decide to come together. They're going to quickly kind of become on the second character that we're going to meet. That's going to be the Tin Man. Um, and the Tin Man wants a heart, right? And this is where we're really going to get that emotion aspect and that feeling aspect. But it's very interesting, you know. Again, the the idea of conquering ignorance is really what 
wakes us up to the scarecrow and we have to go through that aspect of conquering ignorance and really understanding the true knowledge and how important true knowledge is. When they come across the scarecrow who represents that um, the emotional as I mean, the scarecrow was represented that mental plane um, and that aspect of thought. When they come across the Tin Man and he wants a heart, we're also going to see that he's rusted in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important because this is really going to talk about, you know, the rust on our hearts when we start the spiritual thing. Because it's not so much you discover your heart, but you actually have to like revitalize your heart because your heart's it's almost been shut down. Lubricate, right? Yeah. Yeah, because your it's almost been shut down yeah. through this whole five sense construct of you being confused for maybe the first eighteen to twenty five years of your life that you actually start putting layers over your heart so you don't actually get feel it because you know how sensitive it is as a child and these letdowns and these confusions cause heartaches so we actually start closing off our ideas to feeling so again you know there's there's this idea of discovering your heart. But there's also this idea of uncovering your heart and almost, like you said, adding that lubrication um, and really just kind of trying to open up that emotional plane again, open up that emotional intelligence. And this is really going to represent water. So the aspect of water. So water always is going to represent emotions. And, you know, I didn't didn't bring this up with the scarecrow, so I'm just going to kind of shoot back there. Intellect is always going to be associated with the element air. So we have earth which is going to be Dorothy. We have air, which is going to be the scarecrow with thoughts and then water, which is going to be the tin man. Right. Um, And that's going to be a really important aspect. And even the idea of, you know, your emotions are an internal aspect. And what happens when you start fielding the emotions from the outside world, you get rusted. Like you see what happens when he interacts with you know, the emotions that are being poured onto him that are not only not his own, he becomes rusted and he can't even move. And we actually see problems that are coming from this. So again, the, this is very much an internal aspect and it's how we carry our own water right? and just kind of that whole aspect that the, uh, the tin man's going through. And again, you're, you're right. He's got apathy. He's not caring. He wants a heart and they have to literally oil him up. Like you said, like add a lubrication to help him start creating that generative care which we know is such an important process from the lost principle and that general aspect of care in your heart's desire. So again, now we have the thought aspect of the trivium, and now we have the feel aspect. So as I think, so I feel. Um, and again, that, that internal female capacity, that lunar energy that's internally um, represented by the Tin Man, that's just kind of at this point not really being exposed, not being uncovered, and is dormant. Right. In the beginning, right? That emotional energy is dormant. And then, um, so yeah, so they're going to kind of just make their way and then they're going to encounter, encounter the lion. Yes. Right, right? And the cowardly lion. And he he's going to come off again very threatening in the beginning. And he tries to scare them. Right. And um, who doesn't stand up to him was he starts yelling at Toto. And then I think Dorothy just kind of gives him a quick little smack and he just He can't crumbles. take the pain, yeah. Right. So he just crumbles, right? Um, and so the cowardly lion, he's going to represent, you know, um, the lack of courage. Right. Right. He's going to re- represent really the idea of not having that will. And again, that facade of being brave. But when you're actually appointed with a challenge, you crumble. And this is a really important character. And he's going to represent the element of fire. Fire, right. Yeah. Right. You know, having that internal fire, having that internal 
will and really that aspect of action. So now we have the three planes of consciousness. We have the thought, the emotion, and the action. And this right. is how yeah. we manifest consciousness into illumination, this Illumination, right? Exactly. This yeah. is the illumination. This is so the, the path that she's about to go on. Right. And she's kind of just collecting the pieces. Yeah, along the way, of right. course. Yeah. That are unfolding their identities too. That's what I really appreciate is that as she's quest on a quest herself, they're all on a quest together. Uh-huh. And, you know, and that's kind of how it should be when all three are aligned is that they all have to be as inquisitive as your intuition. So right. as Toto is, you know yeah. what I mean? You, you talk to your intuition, but you need everybody to be along the journey together in order to like develop what is needed for that illumination, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, and you bring up a great point, man, because in the beginning and they're walking, they're all out of order and they're all kind of like tripping over each other and one's walking in front of the other and then the other one's kind of going in front of them. It's not until the very end when they're walking back to Oz that they're actually in that alignment yep. and they're in the perfect order. It goes, it goes Dorothy and then Toto's by her side right. and then it goes, you know, the scarecrow, the tin man, and then the lion. But again, this is so important. This is ancient philosophy summed up in a beautiful allegorical presentation of as I think, so I feel, so I act. And you go back to Socrates, you go back to Aristotle, you go back to all these great Greek philosophers, you go back and you read Egyptian or Cremetan mythology. And this is exactly what they're resonating. It's always, as I think, so I feel, so I act. You know, again, we we always talk about, you know, how do you re-educate yourself? The best thing you possibly can do is to re-educate yourself on the trivium and try to use that application of the trivium in how you participate in life. And that's going to lead you down this yellow brick road because you need these aspects in alignment to get to this balanced place of Oz, which we're kind of talking about. For sure. Right. You know, so, um, so, and again, you know, this is, um, this is very interesting because, you know, Three of the aspects that keep us in this conscious state that we are in is the idea that, you know, if you think about three of the reasons why like humanity is in the stage it's in, it's because of ignorance, which is, you know, not connecting to the thought, not right. connecting to the scarecrow, apathy, emotionally not caring, or maybe being emotionally rusted or just not just not even instructed on how to express your emotional intelligence, right. you know? So we have those two aspects and that also could come with trauma. There's so much that can kind of, you know, deflate that emotional expression. And then the third one is cowardice. And that's probably the most prevalent one. So a lot of us can think the right thing, know what to think, know what to feel, but do we actually act on that? And that's going to be a huge problem to us kind of uncovering the situation that we, um, that we're in. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's going to be, um, it's going to be this, this whole aspect. So again, Dorothy's making her way through this journey. She's, she's got the scarecrow, she's got the tin man and she's got the lion. And although they're kind of walking out of order, they're still trying to make their progression down to Oz because again, you know, they, now they promised the lion, oh, he could, the Oz can give you courage. So again, we have something that we kind of want to introduce this idea that there's almost like an external prophet and that's what Oz represents. And it's this idea that there's going to be some kind of external salvation. Um, and we're going to kind of come to this at the end and how this doesn't really align with the true spiritual path. And we're going to see 
kind of the facade that this Oz is actually kind of leading us to. Right. But to go on this journey, it's going to get us to this self saviorship that we need to get to anyways. But um, the the heroes, once they all kind of come together, they're going to have one more um, situation with the Wicked Witch of the West. And this is where really we're going to kind of see the Wicked, of the Wicked Witch of the West really kind of present herself. And again, she's going to represent the idea of, you know, fear and hate. She's a force that polarizes people against each other. And, you know, even how they use the color green in the story. So, oh, yes. Right? You know? Yeah, I'm sorry. Go on. Go on. No, no. But, I mean, we, we do. We have – isn't it so funny that the destination is emerald and that's green and then our villain is green as well? That's how they confuse you. That's you how know, they confuse you. You know, which, which, which way to look, you know? And, and you're going to use the, the, polariz- the polarization of two colors to make one in order to, like, make you believe that that's – that's the authority, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, it's, I know, and, and I've heard this before, but that's the same thing with money, right? Yeah. And, and we'll get into that with the w- Wicked Witch of the West. I remember this one of the first things I learned about this, like, great allegory is when I watched this movie, and this was, like, probably my senior year in high school, and that was, like, the main clue into this whole thing with, with the, the storyline and what was behind it, but I remember the Wicked Witch being green and and being the representation of of money or mind control or like the control of 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 your emotions and like what you're putting your energy towards but go on yeah no i mean absolutely man and we're gonna see green be used a lot because green again when if you look at electromagnetic spectrum electromagnetic spectrum um you know we see uh, infrared and we see ultraviolet and then within that two barriers it's all the colors that we can perceive with our human capabilities and in the middle of that spectrum is going to be green right. and that's why green always represents balance so we spoke about that before like this is why nature, nature right? yeah, represents herself in green right yep. and this is why it's called the emerald city so it's the emerald city because it's this balance that's balance we're trying to make and it's this idea of that middle path and that balanced neocortex right even the some of the oldest alchemical information we have comes from this thing called the emerald tablet which right. is something we'll do an entire podcast episode on oh, i can't wait um, that. oh yeah that's amazing and so many people have translated it and so amazing um and i'm really really looking forward down to the conversation we're gonna have about that but again this green is used and this is why they used green in american money because it's trying to mimic that universal balance and it's right. trying to mimic that this is just and this is you know ordained by nature when really it's just like oh, this it's like facade. gas companies You're exactly gas companies are just like yes we're now green i'm like what yes. what are you talking about you're right. a mining company exactly and like, and like how they use green as like this environmental thing and it's just like are people you don't green? have to think about it you're no. just like oh those people yep. are on the right side it's like no right. they're not this no. is where fracking comes from yep. but i mean i don't yep. want to get into that but it's right. crazy you'll see it right away you're like wait what your main logo is that and your main statement that i can read physically is green like yeah. the, the letters um yeah so yeah so wicked witches the wicked witch right and again this wicked witch just represents fear and hate and manipulation um and again trying to disconnect dorothy which is all of us this is the story of the sun again this is the story of us disconnecting us from our human intuition our human creativity and our imagination um because they know that that's the part that they need to do to kind of complete their plan so um, you know, as we go forward in the story, so now these individuals are making their way or getting actually really close. There's one more scene that they put into this movie. And I, and I think that they really, what this is kind of showing is there's also 
there's also other tactics that they use that aren't fear. So what we're going to see here is we're going to see Dorothy um, falls asleep in um, a poppy field. So she's like on her way in and then she gets overtired and she falls asleep in a poppy field. Um, And again, I think this is an indication of not so much using all of our resources and kind of giving up on the journey. But I also think this is a representation of the distractions that they put in front of us, like drugs, television, entertainment, addiction of any sort and how they pump addiction, you know? Um, And, you know, it's so interesting because the poppy also puts the lion asleep. So your ability to take action and think about what does addiction do? Like you can think about how you're addicted to something. You can feel that you're addicted, but can you actually take the action to stop that addiction? No, because it becomes dormant, right? So you're in this phase and you're in this spot where the human consciousness and the psyche and the soul almost gets turned off. The will gets turned off. And although the thoughts and the feelings can like be trying to alert and trying to wake you up. You're in a deep slumber. And again, this addiction doesn't just have to be drugs. This addiction could be food. This addiction could be pornography, like whatever it is. It's some sort of addiction that's overpowering your will, which you'd never want it to do. So again, we, we have this where the lion and Dorothy are asleep. But again, who comes to wake Dorothy up? It's Glinda. It's that sacred feminine. So she makes herself back around. How do you pull your way away? How do you pull yourself away from addiction? It's eternal realization of care and of a higher understanding that there's more to this. Like I need to get through this because there's a higher aspect. Right. And that's really what Glenn is going to kind of represent. So this is, again, this is why AA is so successful because it kind of connects you to a higher source of power, kind of reconnects you to a sacred feminine. Now, again, AA is not going to go too deep in esoteric understanding, but one of the things you do in AA is it's like the first two, three steps of Freemasonry. You know, it's it's kind of that connection to a higher power. Um, and again, if, if we have any individuals who participated in AA, like this is probably what was one of the things that kind of pushed you through spirituality because a lot of people start a spiritual journey because AA has kind of a ceiling, obviously, but you can kind of keep climbing that ceiling um, and kind of use that amazing information that they kind of do. So that's right. People will ascend to add to that. I've met people who have been in recovery and in search of basically what Glinda represents, which is the light. And by the way, the munchkins, I always want to talk about the munchkins, how they represent your childlike intuition, you know, your, oh, the children. We even even touch on the munchkins, They always man. come around and you're like, okay, there's a balance between her and them. You know, it's not yes. just coming from her, but it's also like, oh, there's this like innocence over here. But, um, but people who like you're talking about at AA and taking the next step. So people will, will, if you haven't already, but people will take a next step into either a religion or like a higher power right. because they're like, no, I don't want to stop here. Right. How much further can I go to find out what I didn't know um, was right in front of me? Yeah. And and that's something that you'll see a lot that I've noticed. Um, but go on. Yeah, no, Linda. absolutely, man. I think that's, that's perfect. Um, because again, we have this, um, this waking up and this this sacred feminine energy trying to wake them up. And it does, it wakes them up and it kind of gets them this, she drops snow on them and it's, it's this cold awakening to kind of wake up. But again, it's really interesting how the Tin Man is rusted. And I think this alludes to the process of emotions in anybody who's been through any kind of form of addiction and yeah. how they almost have to reawake and again, reconnect with those emotions. It's a, it's a very important aspect of the recovery process when when we're awakening the emotional energy and how to handle it. So 
People explain being very cold and unable to control their emotions after going through an addictive habit. And like, it's that whole process of you almost have to, we almost have to be patient with ourselves and other individuals and really be empathetic on those individuals that are trying to process back to connect with that emotional source of energy. Right. Cause I, I think that that tin man being rested wasn't by accident. There was nothing in this movie that's by accident. No. Right. No. So, um, again, the sacred feminine wakes them up. It comes this, it saves the day. It kind of gives them light, wakes Dorothy up from just falling asleep on the poppy fields. And I think this poppy field could also represent, you know, setting up your tent on the mountain of spiritual enlightenment and being like, oh, you know what? I've gone far enough. I'm just going to camp out here, which is something we see in, you know, different kind of religious and new age movements. And it's no, you, this journey's never ending. You're always kind of climbing that mountain. So, um, so they make it to Oz. Right. Right. So we get to Oz um, and we um, and we do. They, they go to Oz. They open up the door. And again, the, that Professor Marvel character is the gatekeeper. Right. And then he's also going to be the carriage rider. And we're going to just see this character. He's going to keep kind of coming right. up. But every time. And then he's also going to be the god of going into Oz. Right. But the, the horse of a different color, which is like a really famous scene, they go through this whole process and they kind of get like beautified. And I, you know, they kind of talk about this um, in that Mark Passier breakdown of kind of like the steps of kind of perfecting your consciousness and kind of re-beautifying your soul through this whole alchemical process. Um, but they finally get to Oz and face the wizard. Um, that guy. And he's terrible. Terrible. He's absolutely terrible. Like he's... The facade. He's a facade, and again, and again, he's he's just making them afraid. He's yelling at them. He's using fear. Right. Um, and what does he ask them to do? He doesn't even grant them their wish, like Linda said she would. He says, "Okay, if you help me bring me the witch, the broomstick of the wicked witch of the West, right? I'll save you." So again, we have this already. This initial thing. This guy was supposed to be our savior, and we're really starting right. to see that he's this kind of this false savior. He's like the lowercase G in God. I mean, like he's using that power. He's using. He's it. using. He's he's not really using truth, but he kind of got himself lost right. in in the idea of like, oh, I'm gonna sell you what you need to know, and like, but I'm not really standing behind it. You right. know. Well, it's just like how the papacy like say that they're helping out poor people right? and people are starving to death and they have gold underwear. Exactly right. Yeah. And you're like, well, do you need gold underwear? You know, everything is gold in here. It's just like, well, why don't we just sell like that booth right there? We could probably feed everybody that we need to. And they're just like, oh no, like we can't sell that. That's That's mine. That's mine. And you're like, oh wait, what? So again, we do, we have this almost this exoteric. And again, this whole idea that's sold to so many people in these exoteric religions of an external savior. Right. Right. Which we kind of went through. But again, at the end of the day, Homeboy is just afraid of the Wicked Witch of the West because he can't face him. He's afraid of her minions. He's afraid of the whole aspect. Well, he never went through the journey. He got to the Emerald City, but he right. didn't go through the process of getting to right. the Emerald City. Now, right. how he got there, I don't know. But, you know, but that's the representation that right. I find. You know, yeah. it's just like, okay, well, you got here, but you're still just a scared child. Don't really know. A little child. You know, um, what the actual process, the, the, the true gold is. Right. You know. Yep. Yep. And he's just using his power and he's using this manipulation. He's really no different than the Wicked Witch of the West. He's just not as abrasive with his power. Right. Um but again, he's living by fear. He's ruling by fear and he's doing that aspect. So so our heroes, 
with the promise that Dorothy's going to be returned back to Kansas, right. and that our three other individuals are going to get a brain, a heart, and guts, decide to accept this journey. So they accept the task, and they go into the haunted forest to have this ultimate showdown with this Wicked Witch of the West. So not only do they have to fight her, but they also have to fight her minions. And this is going to be really powerful because, again, this is the idea and that psychology of order followers. And order followers are really some of the most dangerous things in the world. This is the idea to blindly accept orders from some sort of superior authority, perceived superior authority, um, and carry them out with no moral reflection. Yeah, it's like George Orwell said about ignorance is strength. Yes. I mean, it really, that's where it lies, you yes. know, and it's it's hard to fight those in numbers, you know, when right. there's that many that are concluding to the same bliss, not or just ignorant um, understanding of the world, you know? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Just no moral reflection, right, about what they're being asked to do. And, you know, I've even seen... You know, I've even seen, um, you know, there was a Netflix documentary about like American soldiers um, and they were interviewing them and the soldiers were very proud to say like, oh, I don't think I just take orders and I do. And they were making this sound like it was so justified and it's so terrifying to kind of think like, wait, you don't, you don't even like process what the somebody's asking you to do. Like, what if they ask you to, you know, shoot that a village of children and women, you know, but if it was an order, I'm just going to do it. And that's. That is, again, we'll kind of get into that because, again, this is fear. This is cowardice. This is ignorance. And fear, cowardice, and ignorance is the greatest expression of these social engineers. This is how they utilize their power. This is how they they carry on their evil, right? They give you false power. That's that's yes. the other thing. It's just that, I, I, for instance, I could never cross anybody with any kind of experience, whether it's in military or anything that you've ever learned or been indoctrinated into because that's just the process they went through and you can't take that away from them. But I'm like, yeah, but the person that gave you that process is the one who took away your ability to just even have a mutual conversation about mm-hmm. this with me. Like right now you're completely turned off to me because mm-hmm. I did not follow that same ideology as you did. And that's mm-hmm. what they took away from you. It's not that we're saying that you didn't do anything for somebody else, but who, do, who and why you did it for should be questioned and, and then oftentimes it's not, it's just met with, with force, mm-hmm. with brutal force as, yeah. as that quote goes. But, uh, anyhow, yeah. continue. No, again, it's, this is, you know, this is how evil was carried on. Like you said, it's by blind order followers and, and star Wars, they're literally clones. Um, not even human. The stormtroopers are clones. It's not until the new movies that they made the stormtroopers actually human. And it was in the force awakens which was the most esoteric of the new ones that they actually addressed one of these stormtroopers waking up and coming online to consciousness. And they actually realize what they're going through and they fight it. And that's like kind of one of the characters of that. Um, I can't remember what his name was, but that's, it was about a stormtrooper actually kind of we reawaking to this prenal philosophy and being like, no, I'm, yeah. I don't want to do this, you know? So, and the wizard of Oz, it's going to be these, these flying monkeys, these flying monkeys in blue suits, right? So these order followers, and they're and again, they're just order followers. Like Hitler did not pull many triggers in Nazi Germany. He got other people to pull the triggers. Stalin did not personally kill a lot of people. Like I don't, you know, it's it's claimed that Hitler didn't kill anybody actually personally. I don't know about Stalin 
Um, I think Stalin, when he was younger, he definitely did because he was kind of ran with some like gangs and stuff like that, um, but didn't pull many triggers. Chairman Mao, who's the ultimate murderer of the last century, didn't pull many triggers. They they get their order followers to do it for them. Um, yeah. You know, this is how we, you know, this is how society controls society. They get the order followers to enforce the rules and the guidelines for them. Okay, um, fear, cowardice, and ignorance is the best friend of dark occultists, right? Um, again, you know, this is why in the military they give you dog tags because they say, you know, let's just let our dogs do it. They don't even see, you know, that's the thing. These social engineers, when you actually start looking at documents and you talk to people who've been in the, um, like in these Satanist networks that have actually worked in them, these social engineers have... They don't have any respect for us, but they have no respect for order followers. Even though the order followers bid their duty, they despise them. Like they hate them. They don't think they deserve breath. And this is why they can send them to get killed. They can send them into these violent situations because they don't even see them as human. And that's kind of something we really need to kind of recognize because one thing that they're actually doing, and I think we've kind of spoke about this before, but they're literally karmically shielding themselves from the deed that they want to be done. So what they do is they put levels of separation, but what is being carried out. So that karmic debt actually comes to the individual that pulled the trigger. Now, eventually it will make its way to the person who made the order, but they know that there's that karmic shielding that's going to be in between them. And then what we talked about with that process of forgiveness, they know that that individual will never go to the process of forgiving that order follower who gave them that order because they know they won't even go down that spiritual understanding to go to that process, that that charge will just stay with them. So they're literally karmically shielding themselves. And this is why we lose more men and women in the armed forces to suicide than we ever do with battle, because they are really going through that karmic trauma of what they've done and that confusion that comes from it. You know, And this is why... You know, healing needs to be done with recovering order followers. Like that's who we should really be concentrating on. It when we talk about that idea of forgiveness and giving love and opening up your heart and really trying to open up their hearts, these are the individuals we really need to kind of reach out to. And again, this is just why it's so important to strive for individual human sovereignty. The idea to be your own king, you answer to nobody but your higher self and the creative force of the universe. I'm um, just remembering that. You're a star, baby. You know, like that's what it comes down to. You're that internal light and that's what you need to kind of listen to. Um, so again, we're going to see these order followers kind of come up with these flying monkeys and, um, you know, these minions of these dark forces. And then we're also going to see owls because as they kind of enter the forest, we see the owls and the owls are, are a symbol of both light and dark aspects of the occult because again... An hour represents having a higher perspective and the ability to see in the dark. Um, now, again, the owl is not evil. It's even though it's kind of a, a logo that's used by dark occultists, an owl is, again, in its energy isn't evil. It's just what you do with that energy that makes it evil. Are you going to use your ability to see in the dark to help others find their way? Or do you use this ability to hunt? Right. Mm-hmm. And they hunt. Yeah. They hunt. Um, and then in this movie, because the Wicked Witch of the West kind of looks through the owl's, uh, owl's eyes. I think this is kind of really is a foreshadow about how the dark occultists were going to use a surveillance state. Right. And that's, 
I mean, we know the surveillance state is very evident. Like it's the cell phone, like through the cameras, through the cell phones, through every aspect. Like we're getting tracked and it's getting tracing more and more. And again, that that individual, those, you know, those order followers and kind of the the individuals that don't have that strong sovereignty are accepting of this and they're welcoming it because like, oh, we need this protection. We need to be traced and we need this. And it's like, right. no, you don't need any of that. Well, they're also, they're giving you what I think in the end, <clears throat> one thing we should mention is Glinda always reminds Dorothy and for the viewers watching at the very end, it's like, you always had the ability to go back home on your own. You always had that. And so right now there's just a, one of the things that we're all battling with. And I think one of the things that are most evident is, how with regards to social engineers and the things that are put out in front of us at such ease, those are the distractions and or the false rope lo- or the ropes that we talked about that you want to pull onto to lead you to home. But they're not taking you home. They're really just right. They're just using what they need out of you with a false promise of home in order to get what they need. And then right. in that regards, it's either a monetary um uh, accumulation or it is the accumulation really of just the energy of your energy. soul. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what I, I really appreciate about how the movie just is all wrapped up in the end, which is her just wanting to see those, those individuals that she cares for so much, her aunt and her uncle. Mm-hmm. And she just wants to be, she home. just wants to make home. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I really think that the, um, the owls don't only just represent again, this ability of seeing in the dark and the idea of hunting or leading, but it also, I think, is a good foreshadow of the surveillance state that we're going to kind of see in our culture right. and in our reality, and just you know, just how much we are monitored, and it's almost welcomed again by that order-following class and the individuals that really don't have that internal will and kind of align themselves more with that cowardice that we were kind of speaking of, right? Um, but either way, we have our characters; they're making the approach through um this haunted forest and they get into um and this is where they're when they're in the forest they're making their journey to get to the witch's castle and they get ambushed right and again remember the these flying monkeys are going to like destroy the scarecrow they're going to the lion runs away because he's still a coward and they're going to kind of destroy it and they're only concerned with dorothy and toto so they pick up Tordy, Tordy, Dorothy and Toto, and they leave again the thought, the emotion, and the action behind. Because behind. if that's not connected to the human, it's not important. And again, remember, the only thing that they need to separate is Toto. That's the, the thing. Everything else will resurface, but they want to take that away. So Dorothy is caught, and her and Toto are together. Um, Wicked Witch of the West is you know, pretty much telling her that she's going to kill them. Um, and that there's no escape. And then again, we have Toto be like, nah, girl, I'm good. And he escapes, right? right? Right. Again, we have that human intuition, that innovation. You can't hold us down, right? You can't, there's nothing that's going to be able to go through. You can so never hold Toto you, down. You can never hold Toto down because nope. he's the man. Um, so Toto is going to um, escape and he's going to reconnect with the scarecrow, the tin man, and the lion, right? And then he's going to lead them back to Dorothy. Okay. So again, using that intuition, using your creativity to repull that thought, that emotion, and that action back to the human self. And again, we have this aspect of 
you know, they're starting to be clever. And this is when they actually use the skin of the guards. Remember, we talked about that. That's part of the hero's journey. Sometimes you have to wear the skin of the enemy to hide yourself as the enemy. Mm-hmm. And we talk about how that aspect is used so often in this spiritual, spiritual journey, right? Um, and so that's exactly what's going to happen. After Toto makes escape, they're going to save Dorothy. Um, and then we have that final showdown when they're cornered, right? And they're cornered. And we almost have the Wicked Witch of the West is almost just antagonizing them, mocking them. And at this point, she lights her broomstick on fire, right? And what this is going to represent is that sacred fire, but how it's perverted by these dark occultists and they use it to burn you. They don't use it to light the way, but they actually use it to burn the scarecrow and again they go after the scarecrow because they're all about thought control because they know that the they know how your brain works it goes as i think so i feel so i act so that's why they concentrate on thought control because that's what starts the whole process so they go to light her on fire and then dorothy in an attempt to save her brain not maybe understanding polarization surely but goes to put the fire out with water. water. And when she throws the water, it splashes onto the, witch. the Wicked Witch of the West. The mind control. The mind control. And now what did we do? We just use that emotional energy, that um, that emotional energy that we carry, that generate generative energy, that energy of forgiveness, and it splashes on the Wicked Witch of the West, and Homegirl just melts, right? Just it, like that. Just like that. And it's, oh, what a cruel, cruel world. And we see all the pain and we see all the fear and we see all that ugliness just dissolving. And she just goes to nothing, right? Like there's no, not even a body there because she wasn't even a body. She was just she this embodiment yep. of fear and hate. She never was. She never was. Exactly. She was almost a figment of our own creation because we didn't want to face what we needed to actually face, right? right? And then how quickly her order followers are like... They like look to see like what are those guys gonna do, and they're like just as thrilled. Like, oh my gosh, we hated that lady. Like, thank you so much. Um, and she's already like a hero. Dorothy's already a hero, right? So they get the broomstick, and the the old guards that used to you know fight to the death because they were afraid right. are now like, you just gave us our freedom. Take the broomstick, do whatever you need to get back to Oz. They take that broomstick and they run back to Oz, and when they get back to Oz. Oz is not impressed, right? Right, Because, again, Oz is, he's just using fear. He's telling him that he's actually not going to send them home. He's not going to hold up his end of the process, right? He's not going to hold up the end of his deal. And again, we, you know, we thought we just kind of went through the climax, but now we see that we still have a new problem because this, we're still kind of stuck in Oz. And then again, who saves the day? Toto. Toto. Toto is going to expose the man behind the curtain, right? Yeah. And Toto, Toto human, knows. Toto knows. Toto knows because he's like imagination, Toto. innovation. Back there. Exactly. Toto goes and he pulls the curtain, and then they see that it's just this little frail man who's actually just instilled all this fear and all this control and all this manipulation, and he's a nobody, right? So when he gets exposed, he comes out, and then he's all this like the squeaky little guy. And again, it's Professor Marvel. It was the guy that was. He was the facade in the beginning. He was the facade gatekeeper. Yeah. He's these, the, are the, these are the masters of war. Yep. Yeah, exactly. They don't do the fighting, but they push people yeah. and they sign people's lives away, these right? Little men. Little men, right? Yeah. Little men playing with toys. Yeah. Uh, and that's exactly what it is. And then he gives them a 
bullshit kind of like reward. Like he gives the scarecrow a diploma, which we know really doesn't represent intelligence. You know, anybody can get a diploma. He gives the uh, tin man, he gives him like this fake heart. Right. And then he gives the lion a badge. Like none of this, these are all external representations of an internal realization, right? Like intelligence, like you can, you can have a degree and you can be really smart, but you could also be really smart without a degree. Right. This physical fake heart that he gives to Tim, it's all a facade. It's it, none of it's real. Right. And then when it comes to getting Dorothy back home, he makes these promises. He's like, oh, well, you know what? You should just use the craft that I used when I landed here, which that brings up a whole different story, too, because, like, you know, that can kind of bring up the whole idea of, like, who is Oz and where did he come from? Right, yeah, you know what I mean? I've and that, that. that can co- totally pull other, into, like, yeah. we can get into some alien stuff and everything like that. But either way, he's just like, well, why don't you just get in the craft that I was and I'll take you back home? So, again, Dorothy gets in this craft with Oz, who... Again, she's not really perceiving as this a snake oil salesman, right? Who saves the day for the final time? Toto, man. Toto. It's like that balloon. That's the, it. He, he chases the cat. She jumps out of the balloon to get Toto. Um, and then Oz starts taking off with the balloon. And they're like, well, we'll just land it. Wait for Dorothy. And he's just like, I don't even know how to use this thing. So again, we just have this false prophet, you know, giving these false promises and this idea that there's going to be some kind of external savior to an internal problem. And again, we have all this distress and Dorothy's just having this breakdown because she's not going to feel like she's going to come back home, but she does have Toto in her hand and she's just trying to see the bright side. And then Glinda shows back up for the final time. Um, And this is the sacred feminine coming to complete the journey. And it's just like, don't worry about the turd in the balloon. Don't you worry about this. And this is where she does that famous line that you kind of brought up earlier if you wanted to continue. But what was the big realization? You had the power inside you the entire time, Oh, yeah. Time, well, right? yeah. The realization of the power has always been within you. I mean, that is what I like about the ending overall when you when you find out from Glinda, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like she, she's the one who has to just remind Dorothy, like, girl, you had this all along. Oh, yeah. We like, all have it all along, yeah. you know? Yeah. I um, love it. And then just like how she's like, oh, dear, like you had this internally with you all along. And it was the the ruby red shoes. And again, the red shoes are going to represent um, the, the third stage of the alchemical process. And that's like the philosopher's stone. And that's really what is the embodiment of the alchemist's work. And it's interesting because in the movie, they used red slippers because it looked better in the film. But in the book, Frank Baum actually does silver, which kind of represents that moon aspect and that intuitive feeling. And both of them actually really work good in the uh, alchemical story about the um, the evolution of the soul. Because again, the philosopher's stone and that intuitive feeling. But you know, Glinda really does a good representation of that moon goddess energy. So I kind of like how they use the philosopher's stone to kind of represent those shoes. But it, again. She just has to tap her shoes and she can come back home. And then that's exactly what happens. She wakes back up in Kansas, right? So we have that reawakening, um, that journey back into that world, but she's different now. Right? A she's a new octave. A new octave. She's in a new octave. And again, now she still has to deal with it because her her surroundings are still going to be the same because right. they didn't go on that journey. Although they represented different aspects of her consciousness, they didn't actually go on that journey. So now she's going to be seeing 
this black and white world and she's going to know that she's experienced color and she's gone through the spiritual enlightenment. Um, but she is, she's made it back home. And that's what this whole journey is about. It's about that internal journey to yourself. It's about, you know, you realizing that it's more of you reorganizing the aspects of yourself rather than having to go out and gather them. Like, again, you need to go through experiences to train your thoughts, your emotions and your actions, but all these capacities are internally within us. And it's really about the uncovering and the flourishing and the blossoming of these aspects in their proper order that's going to get us home. Yep. Right? Always will. You Always just got to know how to look. Just have to know how to look. You right? know? And the, you know how our perspective is and how we utilize those free will decisions. And, um, you know, you just got to stay brave and align yourself to truth just like Dorothy does, just like Luke does. And that's, um, I think that's what this journey is all about. Absolutely, man. No, I think uh, very well put. And um, yeah, let's... Um, I really like that we do this um, once in a while, breaking down these movies. So we'll have more movies that I'm really um, thrilled about talking for hours on and, and the meaning behind them. And, but there's nothing other than like the wizard of awesome. So glad we got into it because it's, it's really out of all of the allegories. It is like the allegory of all allegories. Like I really think of the ancients were to see that and sit down and be like, my God, right. This is this thing that we're witnessing right now unfold before our eyes is, and I'm like, right, the story yeah. of all story, uh, and it's right in front of us. It's just so great, but that's it's a great lesson for also what it is in life. You know, it's just like you are always and will always be given everything that is needed to complete that journey. You mm -hmm. just have to be willing to look out that window and be okay with the whatever the turmoil is going to be. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, whatever the tornado in your life is going to be, and. And, and and know how to talk to Toto. Because she does talk to Toto the whole time, by the mm -hmm. way. She talks to her intuition, which is a great way for us to see when we're watching the movie of how we're kind of processing her inner dialogue. You're like, okay, well, I can hear her inner dialogue because she's just talking to the, the dog, you know? Mm -hmm. But uh, oftentimes I think we just don't really listen to our intuition. I don't know, rather, or if it's because we think it's silly or it's something that you just kind of put away, um, I'm not really quite sure why in people's journeys, they, they tend to sort of look away from that. But, uh, but yeah, that's why I love this movie. It's just, it's right there. It's right there. Yep. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. And again, I, I love how it, you know, really resonates with what we were talking about last week. Like there is not an external savior. The savior is internal and it's just that process of uncovering that, you know, that universal energy within us and letting that shine through and making that hero's journey. Absolutely. Right. Cool. Well, with that being said, man, uh, oh, we did it. Look at the timestamp. Wow. We really, really did it. Um, but yeah, so thank you so much guys for tuning in. Like you always do. We are so, so grateful for you. Um, and like Eddie said, we look forward to kind of breaking down movies and seeing these patterns and this pattern recognition in the future. And until next time, until next time. Hero. 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 Hero.